Good morning, gang. Good to be with you here today, uh, this Tuesday morning after Easter. I think I'm still a little, uh, I'm still recovering from Easter, as you know, uh, for pastors especially. I'm sure most of you know Easter is a pretty busy time, and um, so I'm just getting back into the swing of things this week and uh, getting used to being in the office again. It's good to be with you here this morning. And hey, isn't it good that we now have every day a devotion for Christ Hold Fast? I mean, we got Dale Campbell on Monday and we got Brandon Hansen on Friday now. And and of course, uh, Donovan and Bruce still doing it on the days uh, on Wednesday and Thursday. So man, it's awesome. Awesome to be a part of uh, such a great crew with so many great teachers. Uh, we're going to continue our series today um, on this Tuesday. Every Tuesday, we are looking at First Peter. And today we're we're coming to the end of First Peter chapter one, and before I read the passage to you, I just I want to give a little introduction. Uh, whether you recognize it or not, and chances are many times we don't recognize it. Uh, your life has been and always will be shaped by someone else's word. What I mean is no idea about how to live, what to believe, where to live, who to befriend, etc., 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 ever just popped up out of nowhere. There is always a higher word that we look to, that we trust in for guidance. Whether we're believers, whether we're non-believers, everybody has a word. Now, for a good number of us, that word we're most influenced by is, of course, um, in many cases, the word of our parents. Uh, when in a crisis, we may still hear uh, the voice of our father or maybe see the actions of our mother, for good or for bad, by the way. And in turn, we tend to say and do many of the same things they did as much as we told ourselves growing up that we never, ever would. I can't tell you how many times that experience has happened to me in my adult life. Uh, it could be the word of the culture around us that we look to, uh, the zeitgeist or the spirit of the age, if you will. Uh, that is a powerful voice as well that we're often not conscious that we're hearing and that we're taking it in. Uh, for example, I mean, at one time, the overwhelming majority of people born in America, uh, at least in the last uh, 30 years, uh, have been raised to see smoking cigarettes as bad or dirty unhealthy as they are. Um, and so media depictions of cigarettes went from, you know, Don and Betty Draper of Mad Men lookalikes enjoying an after-dinner smoke with, uh, you know, a nice shot of bourbon, uh, you know, the picture of sort of success and relaxation to a sagging cancer patient with a hole in their throat. And from that word that had been preached to us, it changed our perception now smoking is, is less mainstream, and of course it is seen as, as really terrible for you. Uh, but the point I'm making is that it was the word that changed our perception. And so everything is different. Now I could, I could list off a number of other words that we have, but the point is every day we're listening to preachers, and I don't mean religious preachers. We're listening to preachers that are preaching into our lives through commercials, through books, uh, coaches, teachers, TV shows, you name it. They're all preaching at you subtly or overtly. So, that being said, 
The question we're dealing with today is what word the Christian is to ultimately uh, discern all other words through. And what word is ultimately going to be the word that is best for us, the word that actually will give us life and meaning and significance. So, all that by way of introduction, let's read verses 22 through 25 to try and discern the answer. First Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So let's get to the answer right off the top. What word does the Christian need in order to discern everything else in life? Well, our text is very clear. It is the word of God. Where do we find the word of God? Well, right here in the scriptures. We are literally reading from and teaching from the word of God. And the word of God is what is going, it actually does something. God's word always produces something. Now, incidentally, um, there is a sense in which the culture's word, our parents' word, uh, produces something too. Um, it will inspire action uh, no matter who we are. It will sort of shape the way we think. It does. The words do that. But God's word goes a little deeper in that uh, the way Peter presents it here is that it's a regenerating word. It's a word that creates life out of nothing. Or to use New Testament terminology, raises from the dead. It is able to raise dead sinners to new life. And that has really been the thrust of the first chapter of Peter's letter. And he, now he's sort of saying, and here is the source behind it all. It is the word of God. And what has this word done? The word has, quote, purified our souls. Now, the word purified um, in, the old, in this text probably is hearkening back to an Old Testament you know, word that was used a lot. Of course, when you came into the temple or you were going to worship, you needed to purify yourself. You needed to wash yourself to prepare yourself to meet with God. Now, where has the Christian been purified, been washed with the word? Something that Peter will talk about a little bit more in detail in chapter 3, but in our baptism. In our baptism, we were set apart. Notice he says, having purified your souls. Or another way of saying it is, having been purified. It's, a, it's got this sense of already something that's been received. So we were baptized, God washed us, he cleansed us, and he's caused us then, by this new life given, to give us, for lack of a better term, um, new loves. And what are those loves that are produced by this word of life. Well, it's love for our brothers and sisters in the church. 
The word used is a sincere brotherly love. That word brotherly love, you know it. Philadelphia, where we get the, the name of the city. Uh, Philos and Delphi are uh, brother, brotherly love and brother. So, um, but but Paul or Peter's point is that it's it's it produces a sincere love for brothers. And if that if that's not enough, he wants to emphasize how important this is. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, from the pure heart that you have already been given, with pure motives, not not for your own agenda. That's the idea. Since you have been born again, love people, love your brothers and sisters in the fellowship. That's, that's the hope here, that this will produce more love for your brothers and sisters. Now, um, how, how are we doing at that? I know some of you, and it tends to be a good number of folks that are, that read and, um, and that dialogue with people that, uh, that minister with Christ hold fast. I know a good number of people have been hurt by the church that read our stuff and that are involved with our ministry. I know it. Um, I've talked to many of you. And yes, the church, oh gosh, man. I mean, can we just spend days talking about all of its problems and failures? Yeah, yes, we can, we can. The bride of Christ that is promised to us in the book of Revelation to be this beautiful, beautiful bride at times does not look anything like that, but looks <laughs> um, very unlovable, very unlovable. It has... Um, it's earned its black eyes that it's gotten from the culture around it a lot of the time. We have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that about ourselves. If we're Christians that have been purified, we also have to acknowledge that we also are not always very lovable to our fellow brothers and sisters. And so what this text is reminding us of uh, is is that this, this love is not necessarily something that is a feeling that just springs up out of nowhere. It is rather a love that is very intentional, that seeks the good of the other, even if the other doesn't seem to be very appreciative or very loving in response. That's, I think, why Peter says it like this, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This, the, intensely is this idea. It's like there's going to be effort here. There's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging at times. So then, <laughs> how do we find any way to be motivated to love those who might not always be lovable, our brothers and sisters in the church? How do we get the perseverance when it doesn't come naturally. Well, I think he closes with that. He reminds us, because we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. That's right, Danielle. It is, it actually changes, just real quick note, to uh, when he first says sincere brotherly love, that's Philadelphia, the next word, love one another, that actually is agape, which expresses that, that kind of intentional love that I was just saying. But So good, good catch. Uh, 
he says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Notice who's doing the verbs. God has birthed you again. You're a new creation. You are. Remember, anchor yourself in that identity. Remember, we talked about that last week. That's where the power comes from. And then he quotes from Isaiah to show how powerful and enduring the word is. The word endures. The word endures us. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. There's a steadfastness to the word with us. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That word good news, there it is. We keep on coming back to it every single time. I mean, the fuel for doing something that could be very difficult, like loving a brother or sister that is very hard to love, is remembering how much your brother Jesus Christ loves you. Remembering the word of his gospel. Remember the word of his gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not, not after we had promised to shape up not after we had repented enough to prove ourselves worthy for him to finally come and take care of our sin problem, but while we were in the active rebellion against him, while we were pounding the nails into his wrists, he is shouting out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He comes after us and declares us righteous even when everything about us still is unrighteous. When we don't deserve it, God showers us with affection and with love and declares us to be his purely by his grace. And so, in closing, the love that the word produces is a, it's a gospel love. It's a love that is not about the results that come from it or what it produces in the other, but it's about, it's about uh, being inspired by what Jesus has done for us. So I, I hope that that encourages you. The fact is, <laughs> uh, none of us will ever reach the standard of perfection for brotherly love. And though we're commanded in this text to uh, intensely strive for it, the, way, the only way that that even begins to be produced is by remembering what Jesus has done for us. All right, with that, have a wonderful week. God bless you. We'll see you next Tuesday.